Our scripture reading this morning is from the third chapter of Exodus, verses 1 through 4. You can find that on page 41 in your pew Bible. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. This is the word of the Lord. In the pew Bible, this little blue Bible should be in the pew in front of you, again, page 41, because I want to refer back to a couple of verses almost right at the outset. Again, it's Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. This really is one of the high watermarks of all of the Bible. It truly is. When you really think about the implications and the consequences that follow, it's as important a passage as you find in the Old Testament. In fact, I would say it's one of the high watermarks of all of human history, let alone e- eternal history. A man is used by God to deliver God's specially chosen people from years of bondage, of slavery, and out of that deliverance, out of that rescue, comes the most significant figure in history, and you know who that is. But, but what did it take to make that happen? Now, this is where we're going this morning. It took a willingness for this man named Moses to take a step, a very scary step, really. He did not know where it was going to take him, but the key is, in spite of the fear and the disruption and the uncertainty, he took the step Anyway, but do you and I really appreciate it, and do we see how things go in this very brief passage that it's one of these that's so familiar, I wonder if sometimes we just run through it and don't appreciate what it's saying, let alone appreciate what it is saying to you and me today. Again, we're in Exodus chapter 3, beginning of verse 1, Moses is on Mount Horeb tending the sheep on the far side of the desert. And he sees a bush that is on fire, but it's not burning up. Now, that's got to be an extraordinary scene and rather frightening, I would think. But I want you to follow me at verse 3 here. Moses sees this bush, and it's burning, but it's not consumed. It's not burning up. In verse 3, it says, So Moses thought, I will go over to see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. The key word there is go over. That's a very specific verb in the Hebrew, and what it means is literally to turn aside, to walk a new path, to go in a new direction. That's what it means in the Hebrew. I will turn aside to see this. In other words, what Moses is saying is, I will turn aside from what I have known and walk this new path, regardless of the fact that I don't know where it will take me. So he does that. And look at verse 4. When the Lord saw that he, Moses, had gone over, same verb there, to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Do you see the significance of this? It wasn't until Moses turned aside, walked the new path, then and only then did he speak to Moses. Are you with me on that? When God saw that he turned aside and walked the new path, God spoke to him, though he did not know where it was going to take him. And indeed, as you know, he took him on an incredible journey. Well, so what about you? You know, do you find yourself in a rut about something, something in your life that is routine right now, something that doesn't breathe life? 
It could be something at work, it could be something at school, it could be something at home, it could be something having to do with a relationship, maybe a relationship with God. How you use your time or some difficulty that you're working through, and you realize it's time to move on. It might be something big in your life, it might be something rather small and minor, and yet you need to make some small change, some small adjustment, and you need a new direction. You need to walk a new path, though that's a little bit scary, and we'll talk about that, but you're needing to break out of a rut in some way in your life, whether it's a spiritual rut, an emotional one, a personal rut, whatever it might be. But what might be keeping you from doing this? Because whatever it is, I guarantee you, Moses can relate with you. What is it that keeps you from, because you know, I think chances are, in some way, shape, or form, in your life right now, there is something that needs change. There's something that needs adjustment, improvement, you need to walk in a new direction. And you know what could be keeping you from that. Maybe there's some issue, a fear, an uncertainty, whatever it might be. But let me say, Moses knows, or to to borrow uh, from Bo Jackson, Mo knows, and he does know. Because it might be guilt. It might be some sin which you're you know, genuinely uh, sorry for, contrite about, you've asked forgiveness, but you're still mired in the guilt. Well, Mo knows guilt. He had murdered an Egyptian. He had committed a felony crime. He was mired in guilt and sin to some degree. Mo knows your guilt. Or it could be a crisis from which you are recovering. You've had an unfortunate turn of events in your life. Maybe it's difficult to work through. You might even feel just so unsettled. Well, let me tell you, Mo knows Here's a man who was a prince of Egypt who is now sequestered on the far end. It says in there, the far end of the desert. This is a man who literally, you know, was pushed from the seat of power to a place on the far side of the desert. Here's a guy, you know, that had been staring at Egyptian maidens. Now he is literally staring at the backsides of sheep each and every day. Got to be humbling. Also homesick. You you go a few verses earlier in chapter 2, it says that he had his first son with his wife Zipporah, and he names him Gershon, which means what? I am a stranger in an alien land. Actually names his son, which is a reflection of what he is going through. He knows crisis. And that leads to another issue. You might feel inadequate, maybe embarrassed, but let's say inadequate as far as walking in this new path. You feel awkward, maybe uncomfortable, maybe unqualified, not worthy, afraid of what others might think. Let me tell you something. Mo knows. Remember, later on, he makes excuses about, no, I'm not good enough. I'm inadequate to do that. And God says, no, you are. I have chosen you. But think of why Moses must feel that way. What would his resume say? If he had an actual resume, it would say, you know, ex-prince, now 40 years assistant shepherd out in the sticks. And that's it. You know, from staring at the maidens to staring at the sheep every day. He knows what it's like to feel unqualified and inadequate. And maybe you don't feel like you have the goods to make this shift. You're worried about what other people might think. You just don't think you've got what it takes. Or it could be, finally, that you are just stuck in some sort of rut. Talk about routine. It's hard to break out of. And you've been a part of this same pattern, that same rhythm of life, but it's not quite satisfying. And you know there's a part of you that needs to change, but you haven't gotten to that yet. But it feels dull and lifeless in that part of your life. Mo knows. Think about it. (laughs) He was in this barren, bald, desolate, far end of the desert. 
for 40 years. Think about that, 40 years. Wake up in the morning, move the sheep, feed the sheep, move the sheep again, go to sleep. He'd been doing that for 40 years, 480 months, that's 2,080 weeks, that's 14,560 days. You talk about a rut. And think about how quiet it was, by the way. Maybe an occasional gust of hot wind there in the desert, an intermittent bleeding of a sheep, and that's about it. That's what he's experiencing. Been out there for so long in the same routine, same rut. And maybe you find yourself in a rut that's keeping you from living life more fully as the way God wants you to live it. I can just see Moses saying, well, this is it. Think about it. He must have been thinking. Because we take it for granted. We know what happens afterwards. He didn't know. I'm sure he's saying, well, this is it. My life's ebbing away. This is my destiny on the far end of the world. And he's probably just downright bored. Now, let me again offer up that there's probably something in your life that needs a new start, a fresh start. You want to break out of that pattern of sin or climb out of that mire of, of, of guilt. You know, you want to move beyond that difficult thing that has happened to you, but it's hard to do so, that grief that you've experienced or that work-related you know, disappointment that you have, a relationship that needs renewal or needs resolution, or maybe you just need to do something new. Or it might well be your walk with Christ, your daily walk. Do you really have a passion about that, or has it really... <laughs> Really dwindled down to, yeah, I go to church on occasion, I'll go to Sunday school when I can, and I'll crack open the Bible when I can. And, and if you were gut-level honest with me, or at least with God, that would be your response if I were to ask you, how is your spiritual walk going? There's a part of you you know that needs a new adventure, need to start anew. The question is, what does it take? Because I think Moses gives us some lessons here in terms of that. What does it take to really do this? I like Dale Lloyd's uh, prayer a moment ago where he began that we are in a world of change. And that's the first thing I think we need to do. We need to seize the change. We need to seize the disruption. Got to seize the disruption. Get after that disruption. Because unless something had disrupted his ordinary routine life, Moses would never have done what he accomplished. Unless he took that step toward the burning bush, toward this new vision, nothing would have happened. And he did amazing things because he did just that. And we need to embrace that disruption, especially when we consider how, in a way, it helps us to disrupt the lives of others that they might hear the gospel. I love something Lawrence Corley said the other Wednesday night. They gave the construction mission trip uh, report. And I loved what he said because I've seen it when I went out one time you know, and, and watched it, but... He talked about how whenever we go and work on a construction mission trip, it's not like people look over and say, oh, there's something going up, and they keep going. In these towns, he says, it startles the community. I love that phrase. It startles the community. It disrupts the community, and that's in a good way because it's a source of intrigue and interest and excitement. What's going on over there? And we have seen countless times the difference that that has made, that disruption that we do in those towns. Sometimes even as the construction is going on, people are led to Christ. And no doubt afterwards as they meet for worship in that new place. And thousands of lives through the years have been changed because of that wonderful disruption is that we call construction missions. I love the disruption that I see among the youth in here, uh, you know, a week or two before they're going out on a mission trip. Because they're just bouncing off the walls. Some of you parents know what I'm talking about. They're ready to go. South Africa, Memphis, Chicago wherever it might be, and they're just going nuts, and they're so ready, and they're so impassioned about it, 
And it's so great to see that. They're, they're ready for their lives to be interrupted and do something like this. And it's disruptive for, sometimes for the parents too, but in a good way. But it's just amazing to watch that and experience that, and I just get a rush out of that. Or maybe when we worship with or have a banquet with True Vine Church, our sister church, you know, in, in the inner city, and it's just an amazing time that we have, and it's just so great to, to catch the contagious passion that we have there. It really is a rush. We need to seize those disruptions. In fact, speaking of di- disruptions and rushes, remember that God created your adrenal gland, Okay? Write that down. That's important. God created... Okay, you don't have to write it down. But very important. I think God created that gland within us so that when something new and exciting and adventurous in a good way can just you know, set us off towards something new, we get excited about it. We have a rush of adrenaline. And I think we need to be good stewards of that adrenaline, just like we need to be good stewards of our testosterone or dopamine or whatever else is floating around in us. You can use those for uh, negative things, but when you use them for good... It's an amazing, amazing thing. Let me ask you this. Do you think Moses had a rush of adrenaline when he saw the burning bush that was not consumed? Do you think he had a rush of adrenaline the first time he dropped the stick down and it became a snake? Would do that for me. Or or when he just confronted Pharaoh, king of the land, for the first time and, and, and was just letting him know, let my people go. Had to be some adrenaline involved there. Or when he gets to the Red Sea... He looks behind him, and the army is impinging upon him, and he raises his staff, and you know what happens. Now, I'm not saying that you and I need to go parting seas all the time, but what I am saying is we need to have more of a passion, a rush of, yes, kingdom adrenaline, I would say, as we do what we are called to do. And it might just have to do with our daily walk with Christ. You know, when we read his word, when we study it, when we worship together, when we have community together, and when we experience community together... I would say some of the most rewarding things that I have heard some of you say in the last two years has to do with the two big goals that we've had in the last two years. Last year was what? The whole church, come on, murmur it with me. The whole church taking the whole gospel. Did you feel, I mean, you feel guilty because you said it so well. Say it one more time. The whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. That was no murmur. That was a proclamation. Thank you. Uh, it was so cool that year to have people come up to me and say, I had never been, I've been a part of this church, but I've never been on a mission trip before. It was amazing. It was transforming. Had that multiple times. People come up and say, it was incredible. I got to know people here in ways that I had not, and I just feel all the more part of this tribe, this family. And I saw us make a difference and plant seeds that are just going to just bring wonderful benefits and conversions all the way down. Or this year. I've had many people come to me and say, gosh, you know, I had never been a part of a community group before. Let me tell you some of the stuff that's going on and who I've gotten to know. I didn't know this about this person. I had never met this person, but gosh, such great things are going on. And I feel like I have found a small family here amongst the bigger family, the bigger tribe. Love hearing that with this new theme. In fact, we're going to visit that theme one more time before the year's end, which has been our goal this year, which is what? Real people, real life, real love. Okay, let, yeah, let's say that again. Real people, real life, will love. Real love. Um, I said it wrong. Uh, but we will break that down for the next three weeks. But that, is, that, that has been some of the great things that I have experienced, and I've had a rush of adrenaline when I hear you talk about that. We need to seize these disruptions and get after them, you know. And we've got to keep embracing it and be a part of, of that which is contagious about bringing the kingdom to other people. 
Uh, if you have not had a chance to become a part of a community group or an equipping group, again, this is the season to do that. I'd encourage you to do that. But we've got to seize the disruption, but there's one other thing that we need to seize, and it's the uncertainty of it all. As I said earlier, we read these stories in Scripture over and over again, and we don't appreciate how they end because we already know how they end. We, you know, we know how it starts. We know how it ends. We've got to realize how most of these people had no clue where God was taking them. Do you think that this wealthy businessman named Abraham would leave his hometown, his place of business, and just up and leave? And he doesn't know, doesn't really have the foggiest notion where he's going. Or Moses, or David, who was a shepherd kid. Did he ever think he would become a king? Esther, the poor orphan, did she ever think she would become a queen? It goes on and on. Elisha was going to be, what, a prophet? Uh, the, the Jewish scholar preacher named Paul, who was a Jew among Jews, if you had told him just shortly before, you're going to become one of those strange Christ followers, he would have thought you were insane. And yet he did, and he became the greatest missionary on behalf of Christ in all time. These people had no idea. It's interesting, by the way, Jewish, speaking of Jewish scholars, Jewish scholars debated for years as to why God appeared to Moses in the form of a burning bush on the far side of the desert. And they argued about that for a while in ancient times because they thought, wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been more appropriate for that to have happened in a more prominent place? You know, in a city, you know, in an urban setting, you know, with thunderbolts and, and, and fireworks or, or lightning, whatever it might be, instead of on the far side of the desert with a little bramble bush. Why that? But they all came to a consensus because they said what God is saying is that God has a way of showing that he is never devoid of his presence. No place is devoid of his presence. He is always there, even on the backside of the desert in a small bush. He can show up any place, any time, to any person. That's why he did it. And that means he can do that with you. Insignificant sometimes, as you might feel, he can show up there for you, and you have no idea what he can do with you. I mean, if you were really honest, you don't know what you're going to be doing 10 years from now. And the uncertainty of that can be just a little bit scary, but it can also be called adventure. The disciples, think about them, they had no idea when Jesus came up and said, follow me. They didn't know what was going to happen. They, they, they didn't know that they were going to be a part of something that would literally transform the world as we know it. Which reminds me of one other thing. We need to seize the disruption and the uncertainty, but finally, and follow me on this one, we need to seize the holy. Seize the holy. Do you remember? I won't even read it. Verse 5. What's the first thing God tells Moses to do as he approaches the bush? Do you remember what he tells him to do? What? Can somebody answer it? Take off your sandals. Why should he take off his sandals? He says, take off your sandals because you are on holy ground. Okay. You're familiar with it, which is great. Do, do you realize that today you're on holy ground? That your life is on holy ground? In a way, your life is holy ground. It's such an incredible miracle. We're just blessed to be here. And, and your life is a miracle. We're surrounded by miracles. I had to look it up in a science journal, but right now, six trillion reactions are taking place in every cell of your body. Six trillion in every cell of your body. Okay? Your heart will pump over 100,000 times today, I hope, uh, without skipping a beat, hopefully. And you will inhale and exhale 23,000 times. And there are 100 things, over 100 things going on right now 
of which you're not even conscious, that you're not paying attention to, whether it's digesting or reproducing new cells or purifying toxins, maintaining hormonal balance, converting stored energy from fat to blood sugar, repairing damaged cells. hundred things like that are going on right now in your body. Just a few things that we take for granted. When was the last time we gave thanks for that? Let alone the opportunity to be loved by others with friends, family, church family. Let alone having a good shelter in which to live. Let alone being able to take trips, vacations, mission trips, whatever it might be. And you know the list goes on and on. What a, what a holy ground on which you tread. But do we realize the miraculous even in the most mundane of moments? You know, when, when was the last time you had a jolt of adrenaline over that? But let's take it a step deeper. When was the last time you had a jolt of kingdom adrenaline about the greatest miracle that ever happened? And that takes us back to this passage. Now, who was it who appeared, follow me with this, who was it who appeared to Moses at the bush? Go to verse 2 there. Because it wasn't, it's not described as God, Yahweh himself, the holy God. It's, what does it say there? Who appeared? The angel of the Lord appeared to him. Let me read verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. And it wasn't an angel. It was the angel. Let me break this down because I think this is so beautiful. Frequently in the Old Testament, there would be an angel of the Lord who would come and appear before someone and they would fall down on their faces. They would bow down before the angel. And what would the angel always say? Get up. I am a creature just like you. But this is the angel of the Lord. The angel, and the Lord spoke through this angel. Do you see what or who the angel is? He's the mediator between God and Moses, between God and humanity. Who does that sound like? Yeah. And many scholars will say that is Jesus, just in a different form, in a different manifestation. Very, very possible. At the very least, the angel of the Lord there is a precursor to Jesus, a forecaster of Jesus, if you will, one who is pointing to Jesus, the ultimate mediator. That's amazing. <laughs> and think about it. The angel was in a burning bush that was not consumed. And, and think about it in the Old Testament when there, when there was sin. What did you do? You took an animal and what did you do? You would slay the animal and then you would burn it, put it in a fire. But in the New Testament, God's mediator named Jesus went in as a sacrifice and put himself into the fire. He became the sacrifice so that we would not have to be sacrificed. He was consumed so that you and I would not have to be consumed. Powerful precursor here of the angel of the Lord with that message to you and me today. And out of that, you and I can become burning bushes. Because what, what is a burning bush? A burning bush is someone with the holiness of God, the fire of God within them, and yet you are not consumed. That is a grace gift. And it is a grace gift that you and I need to share with others, no doubt. Now when it comes to seizing, I know we said seizing the disruption and seizing this, this sense of holiness of God, where even, even, even this event points to the event of Jesus on the cross being consumed on our behalf. You've also got to go back, and let me mention the second one, seizing the uncertainty. Because we're uncertain about what's going to happen later today, let alone 10 years from now. I want you to think about how different Jesus is from all of us, though. He's the one who lived and walked and knew what was going to happen. He was certain of what would happen to him if he followed through on it. 
Which reminds me of how significant the temptation account is when the devil... Let's just go to the third temptation. The devil said what? If you just bow down before me, I will give you all things. And in the process, Jesus, you can avoid what? The pain, the suffering, the humiliation. I think on a human level, what a rush of adrenaline that must have been for Jesus in a bad way. Oh, I can get out of this? I don't have to go through this because I know what's going to happen if I go down this road? But then I sense an even greater rush when he declares, no, I'm going to follow my Father's will and drink that cup of wrath. I'm going to go in that direction, so go away from me now. I'm going to turn aside and walk this path, this new path, yes, towards sacrifice, but also redemption for all of us. Do you remember you go on down to verse 14? Any of y'all know this? I'd love this. Verse 14, Moses tries to make an excuse and he says, Okay, if they ask me, what is your name? He said, tell them what? I am sent you. Remember that? Tell them I am or I am who I am sent you. I am. I love that. What better name for God? It really, in a sense, points towards his holiness, but there's a real personal relational aspect to that as well. I am. In other words, I am here in the here and now. I am here for you right now and immediately. Which is why if you go over to John 8, 58, what did Jesus say? Before Abraham was, I am. Even before the one who began this journey of the children of Israel, which became the children of Israel called the church, I am. And you can have that relationship with me right now, immediately, because of who I am. And because of what I did for you being consumed on your behalf. Powerful, powerful stuff. Uh, disciples, the disciples <laughs> look at Jesus, he says, follow me, and they follow. And again, they had no idea where they were going. Not knowing that they would help be a part of that which would transform this world and lead people to a life beyond this one. question for you this morning is, are you willing to turn aside and walk this new path that you might be all the more the disciple whom God has called you to be. I'd like for us to pray together for a moment. Let's enter into the discipline of meditation. And and as you're praying silently with God and spending this moment with God between you and God, ask yourself, in what way do I need to take a step of faith closer to you, O God? What is something new, something daring I need to do on your behalf? What is something that needs adjustment in my life? And yet something has been keeping me from taking that step closer toward you because it's closer to the flame, and that's a little scary and uncertain. And it might have consequences, and yet it might have amazing results on behalf of serving you in your kingdom. I want you to take just a moment and and discern what that might be in your life that needs to change right now and ask God to help you take that step closer to him, closer to the Holy One who is also right there for you as he is the great I am. I am now. Take a moment of meditation and just, just pray to him, converse with him silently and ask him, to help you walk all the more in newness of life and faith with him.
Lord, we ask your forgiveness when our lives have become way too focused on that which is only horizontal, that which has to do with our own lives, our immediate surroundings, that pattern that we've been following, that in some ways has become too fixed, maybe too routine, maybe sometimes tiresome, and yet we know that we need to interrupt that on some level and take more time with you, take more time with brothers and sisters in Christ, Take the time to ask you to help us work through that difficulty in our lives, whatever it might be. Help us to to move toward this new adventure that you might be calling us to. Lord, each of us have different matters that we need to reconcile with you now. Again, help us to take a moment to do just that in the silence. What is it that needs to change? In what direction do you need to step? What do you need to do to move closer to him? Because that is all, all he wants. He has made the step toward you. Will you do so toward him? Continue to meditate on that, and let me just say, as you remain in a meditative uh, posture, that, that, that in just a moment we'll stand and sing, and I'm going to be standing at the front. If you feel led to make some type of a decision and make it publicly, uh, whether it's you know to follow Christ for the first time, or you feel called to move your membership to this place, or you feel called to do some kind of ministry, you feel called uh, to pass through the waters of baptism, whatever it might be, you're invited to do that this day, this hour. And making it public would be such a blessing and an inspiration and a witness to the rest of us here, uh, causing us to discern what God might have us do as well. So if you wish to make some type of proclamation like that, God will be waiting, we will be rejoicing. Otherwise, as we stand and sing, I hope and pray that each one of us would sing with fullness of voice, with firm conviction, these words that God desires that we voice together. Lord, be with us during this time of commitment. And ultimately, might it be a way that we turn closer to you. We pray these things in your name.